Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for visiting with us. Having you here is an honor to us, and we hope that it's an encouragement to you. If you would be opening your Bibles to 1 Timothy, the third chapter, we'll conclude a lesson that we began a couple of Sunday nights ago as we consider looking at the qualifications of deacons. We want to uh, thank each one that came and was a part of the singing Friday night and what a blessing that that was uh, for those that were able to be a part of that. And we appreciate Andrew and Phil and others that worked to make that uh, a reality and an opportunity for all of us. Also, we're thankful for our young people. Again, they are laying out the example before us. Uh, being an example in their youth is what Paul encouraged Timothy to be. And yesterday they raked and ran across several yards and they really did some tremendous work. And we appreciate you guys and the great work that you do and the adults that help in carrying them around and being a part of that. Also, we're excited about a work that Lex Knatzer is working in. Other adults are also helping in this, but the majority of the people that are helping in this, that are making this a reality each week, is our youth group. And we're thankful for their work in the inner cities where they're responsible for 70 children in the inner cities, making it to a place to learn of a Bible story every week. They're working the buses, helping them learn on the way, uh, helping them arrive there safely. Uh, helping them to enjoy that part of transportation. And one of the things that they wanted to be able to do this holiday uh, season was to give every one of the young people a nice Bible. And many of these children do not own a Bible at all. And give them a nice Bible that, that they can have where if they decide they want to read their Bible before they go to bed at night, they've got a Bible to read. Many of you were asking Bible class this morning as an envelope was passed if you would like to put in a few ones or a few fives. And what was needed was $1,750. And this morning, $1,753 was collected. And so maybe that's because of your generosity, and maybe that's because the Lord wanted it done and he worked through his people, and maybe it's because of both of those. But uh, we thank you so much, and again, we appreciate Lex and uh, the, the great work that he does every week of giving a long evening every week to make that a reality for us to have the opportunity to participate in, but a reality for those young people to also be able to leave the inner cities and to study God's Word. I want to encourage you. Pick up a prayer card if you haven't yet. If you were not here last week, we have seven different colors of prayer cards. Be sure you pick up your prayer card. We would ask you to pray the ten things that are on this card at least three times a day. And then at the end of a week or however often you would like to exchange it, there's seven different colors. And over this the, these last seven weeks of the year, let's make sure that in our personal life, we put a strong emphasis on prayer. And when we do that collectively, of course, as a congregation, we place a strong emphasis on prayer. Also, there is a brochure. And I'll be honest with you, I cut my brochure up every year and that way I can carry it with me uh, so that I can carry my daily Bible readings about prayer. But there's a in that brochure, and that'll be one for each day also. So as you're saying those prayers, at least sometime, set some time out, and at least read uh, a passage of prayer each day because we're wanting to grow in our knowledge of how to become a better, uh, better in our prayer life. And so let's make sure we give ourselves to that. And the good news, it's not too late either.
have a hundred things listed on paper with none of them duplicated, a hundred things for which you are grateful. And don't be afraid to put the simple things and don't be afraid to put the important things. But list a hundred things and you may be surprised when you pass 50, you may be surprised of some things you think of that you think, you know, I don't know if I've ever thanked God for that before. But a wonderful thing to do. Now, if you've been doing this all along, you've been doing... Before you go to bed, create a list of 20. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then by Thursday, you'll have 100 things. Please do that for your own sake. What a blessing it is when we stop and count our blessings. And of course, we do not ourselves uh, to pray. us in shape to be what we need to be. And this is one of those exercises that'd be so beneficial for each of us. So please make sure you're doing that. And by the way, make sure you're reading your children's list. It'll probably be a great encouragement to you. Uh, what a wonderful activity that is also. Tonight, we continue to study an exciting topic because when we think of the way from the very beginning, God has gotten things done. God has always chosen and he has leaders. And so when we look throughout the old Bible, some characters that stand out in our mind were not Noah was a good leader of his family. Abraham wasn't just a great man, he was a great leader. Moses also a tremendous leader. David, Solomon, tremendous leaders. And that brings us over to the New Testament and we sometimes talk about Jesus on this earth standing before large crowds and multitudes of people. And I do not want to take away from the fact that he did that and the importance of that. But if you stop and think, what did he do the most of? He spent the most time developing leaders. We usually call those leaders the 12 apostles. You see, that was a part of his daily mission. He spent the majority of his time getting those individuals ready. Because why? Once he ascended... He told them to wait there in Jerusalem. The power of the Holy Spirit would be poured upon them. And what would they do? Peter would stand and he would preach the first sermon as the day the church was established. And from there, the beginning of the church, who would be the leaders of this church? It was the 12 men minus one, another added, that Jesus had been preparing all along the way for those two and a half to three and a half years. He'd been preparing those individuals to be leaders of the church. And what did they do? They did God's will. What was God's will? They went around and when churches were established, Paul went back and he appointed elders in every church. Why? He was growing and establishing leaders. Friends, please understand that a lesson like this is not to take away from any member. Every member that is faithful to God has equal worth in the sight of God. We're not talking about someone's value. We're not talking about someone's worth. We're not talking about someone's essence. Everyone is valuable in the sight of God. If they are a faithful follower, amen. It is awesome to have faithful Christians that follow godly elders and they follow godly leaders in particular ministries. That's awesome. But the reality is God needs the way the church has been designed. We need faithful leaders. 
God has given us the organization of the Lord's church. Two weeks ago on a Sunday night, we looked at 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and we looked at verse 8 and 9, and we looked at five qualifications that God gave to deacons. We're studying these, of course, because the elders have asked you to submit names of individuals, of men that you believe are qualified and that you would like to serve along with in acts of service. You would like to serve as they led particular ministries. And so we want to look at what the Scripture says of five more qualifications of that of a deacon. But let's read verse 8 and 9 for review. He said, likewise, because he had just gone over the qualifications of the elders in verses 1 through 7. And so in a like manner, likewise, deacons, and the word deacon meant servant. And so now this is a servant that's going to serve in an office of service. And so likewise, deacons must be. In other words, these aren't suggestions. This isn't a give and take. The Lord says, I want a man that's going to be qualified for a deacon to have all of these things in their life. And he said, reverent. Number two, not double-tongued. Number three, not given to much wine. Number four, not greedy for money. Number five, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Now let's look at the rest of the five remaining. Let's look to verse 10 now. He says, but let these, speaking about these men, also first, that gives an order there, first be tested, then let them serve as a deacon. The sixth qualification that the Lord gives here is he says that a man must first be tested. It could be that he's saying he needs to be tested to see that if he fulfills each of these qualifications. And notice the order. First, he's tested to see if he fulfills these qualifications. Then, let him serve as a deacon. It's been said more than once, and once is too many times, but it's been said many times where individuals talk about whether or not someone should be a deacon. And they'll say, well, you know, I don't really know if that particular man fulfills all of those qualifications, but I tell you what, I believe if we'll go ahead and appoint that man in the office, I believe he'll grow into the office, and I believe sooner or later he'll fulfill those qualifications. Friends, there may not be anything wrong thinking of that if it came to meeting the qualifications at the workplace, in the secular world, in civic organizations, or etc., but we don't have a choice when it's the Lord's church and it's the Lord's organization and it's the Lord's office that he has given to that of deacon and it's the Lord's qualification. And the Lord says, absolutely not. You don't put a man there and hope that then later he'll find himself passing the test. I've heard many times individuals say, well, we had an individual that he really didn't come faithfully. And we just thought if we went ahead and appointed him as a deacon that he would see his need in the work of the church and that once we appoint him as a deacon, he would start coming faithfully. Friends, that is such a violation of God's will. A man must first prove himself. He's first tested. And either he meets these qualifications or he doesn't. And if he meets these qualifications, then he can serve. And if he doesn't, it doesn't matter what potential we believe the man has. He can't serve as a deacon at that point in the Lord's church. Just this past weekend, uh, and, and I was not talking anything about the Mount Juliet congregation. Uh, I was doing a um, marriage seminar 
And during the seminar, we were talking about which was most important, faithfulness or loyalty. And of course, we were talking about faithfulness is more important than loyalty. At the end of that, an elder comes up to me and he says, I want to share you a story that's completely off subject of, of marriage, but we've just lived through that recently in my family. He said, I have a grown son. He said, my grown son's good friend was put up to be a deacon. He said, he, my son called me one night and said, Daddy, so-and-so's been put up to be a deacon, and he doesn't attend faithfully. And now the elders are asking if anyone has any concerns to let them know when... Daddy, what do you think I ought to do? I have a lot of concern for him serving in an office when he's not faithful. And his father said, Son, you have to do what the elders have asked you to do. They've asked you if you have concerns to go to them. So boldly and humbly, the young man went to the young man that was being considers, considered grandfather, who was also an elder. And he humbly stated his concern. And everyone knew that he loves this guy. He's one of his best friends. And the grandfather said, you bring up a very good point. Now will you do what Matthew teaches us and will you go and talk with him? And he said, sure. And in a humble spirit, he went and, and he talked to his friend and told him his concerns. The good news is ever since then, that young man's been faithful. Faithful in his attendance, faithful to his God. God's way is always best. I can't help but wonder if maybe 20 to 30 years from now that that young man, as an older man then, will maybe one day be appointed as an elder. And he'll be able to look back and say, you know what? A day that a friend cared about me made a real turning point in my life. That was when I decided to put the Lord first in all things. How wonderful it is that we have the opportunities to grow. But friends, the opportunity to grow is not through being the deacon. In other words, it's not. I tell you what, this man's struggling spiritually, so let's let him have the office of a deacon. And, and maybe that'll get him back on his feet spiritually. Not by God's standard. Not at all. Now notice the second thing. He says here about first be tested. And then, once he's proved himself, allow him to serve in the office of deacon. Please note that the word deacon means servant. Allow him to serve as a servant in an official capacity. In other words, if a man is going to prove himself ready and qualified to be a deacon, he has to be a servant. Again, we cannot look to the potential of a man and say, right here is a man that really doesn't lift a finger around the work of the church. There are things that go on 365 days a year and outside attending an assembly, we really don't see or hear much of him. But we believe he has a lot of potential. Let's pray for him and let's help him and let's encourage him, but don't dare appoint him as a deacon because the office of deacon is for those that have already proved themselves to be workers. They've already proved themselves to be servants. They're already busy in the work of the Lord's kingdom they're just ready now to take additional responsibilities. Let's look to a seventh qualification as we finish this verse 10. He says, and, and I want to read this back in the context of the verse because it fits together. He says, but let them also first be tested, then let them serve as, a deacon, as deacons being found blameless. In other words, they've gone through this test now and, and they 
first have been qualified. They first have proven themselves to be servants. And so then they're appointed as a deacon. How? Being blameless. Now, if you'll note back where we read earlier in this text, we didn't read, but if we read earlier in this text when it gave the qualification of elders, the very first qualification of elder, as we begin in verse 2, he says a bishop then must be blameless. When you think about what is meant by the word blameless, we need to make sure that we never confuse the fact that there's no way a man could be perfect because if that was the case, no one would be an elder or no one would be a deacon. So the idea that the word blameless means someone has to live a perfect life is absolutely not true. The truth is the only perfect man that walked the face of this earth was accused of many things. And so the idea that someone has made accusations towards someone does not mean that they are to be blamed. Let's think of an example real quick. On one particular night, Jesus was arrested. And he was taken early that morning before the Sanhedrin council And there he was accused of blaspheming God. Now, so at that moment, someone could say, he's not blameless, listen, of all these accusations. But yet, if you could come to Jesus and the truth was revealed, you would find out that even though he's been accused, he is not to be blamed. Now, on the other hand, that same night, Peter denied the Lord three times. He went out and wept bitterly. You could go up to Peter later on that night and say, Peter... Did you really deny Jesus Christ? And he would have to say, I'm to be blamed. I did that. Now, does that mean Peter could never serve as an elder? First qualification of the elder there, he has to be found blameless. Years later, you could come up to Peter and say, Peter, didn't you deny the Lord three times? I did. Okay, you can't be an elder. First Peter, the fifth chapter says he is an elder. How could that be? Because blameless is talking about what is in a man's life at the present time. At this present time, was Peter to be found guilty of denying the Lord? No, Peter could say that was years ago. When we come over towards the end of the New Testament, the truth is when we come over to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, we see already that he wasn't denying the Lord. He was the one standing up before the very ones that had crucified the Lord, and he was declaring that he was the only way of salvation. And so, yes, he had his faults in the past, but you could come back to him and you could see that at that point in time, you could no longer blame him for those particular things. And so it is. If our idea of understanding blameless is that a man could have never committed any sins, it's a completely misunderstanding of what the Lord has in mind here. We need to look into the life of the man now. Is he to be blamed for living a life of sin? When the Lord forgives, we need to forgive. And so here we see a deacon. He's one that first is tested. Then let him serve being found blameless. But if there are sin, if there are sins that are part of his life now, he is to be blamed and he's not to be allowed to serve in that office of deacon. As we go to verse 11, we see something that it's believed ties back also to elders as well as to deacons. But definitely it is of deacons here because it's right in the middle of the list of qualifications. We see that word likewise again. In other words, God's been giving out the qualifications for men that are going to be elders. He's given out the qualifications for men that are going to be deacons. And now he gives four qualifications for the wives. In other words, 
we see here in verse 11, he says, likewise, their wives must be. And so in other words, a man, we might say, you know, he meets all of these qualifications that are given specifically about the man. But you know, in verse 11, his wife really doesn't meet those qualifications. Well, then the man himself is not qualified because the office is that for the deacon and the wife has to fulfill these qualifications in order for the deacon to be qualified. And so it is just as important when we go through this process, if we're to submit to God's will, that we allow the wife to be tested to see if she too fulfills these qualifications that are really the qualities of any Christian woman. Notice as we read in verse 11, he says, Likewise, their wives must be reverent. Now, if you'll notice, that was the first qualification given back in verse 8 to that of deacons. Reverend is sometimes translated back in Philippians, the fourth chapter, it's translated honest. It sometimes is translated honorable. It is the idea of having a trustworthy reputation. In other words, it's someone that we would look at and, and we would, by, our, uh, by recognition, by, by appreciation, they would fall under the kind of the category of being dignified, someone that we appreciate their life. And that's the idea behind here where he says that of reverent or an honorable life. The second thing he says, not slanderers. In other words, it could also uh, be described as not malicious talking. Now, from the deacon earlier, he said for the deacon to not have the, the double tongue, to not have the forked tongue. And now he speaks to the wives and he says to not have the malicious tongue. The tongue is so important in the life of leaders. All of us need to remember and recognize the importance of guarding the tongue. Any leader is always going to know things that should not be repeated. Any leader is going to know things that if they are repeated, it's going to hurt. And you know, sometimes we're, leader by, we're leaders by influence alone. And so I'm not talking right now to those that just hold an office. I'm talking about all of us that have influence over other people. We need to be so careful with our tongue and make sure that we never use our tongue as that that becomes malicious, as becomes a weapon to harm the lives of other individuals. It's so important. It's so important for the wife to build up the character and the reputation and the spirituality of her husband, especially in the church as it deals with leadership. I want to pause here for just a moment before we go to the next two, to tell you of a real simple study. And I have no way to know if it would be this way across America. But one time I was in a class, and in this class, uh, the, the fact was revealed by the teacher that recently he had conducted a leadership session with, I believe there was 20 individuals, 12 of those individuals from all over, different places. 12 of them were elders, and eight of them were ministers. He asked the question, write down who is the person that has influenced your life the most spiritually. All 12 elders wrote down their wives. Six ministers wrote down their mothers. And I don't know if the number is going to come out right, but I remember it being this way. Three wrote down their wives. And one minister wrote down his father. So you add up the numbers. Out of all those numbers, when they were asked who 
had the greatest spiritual influence on their lives. Ask the men that were leading congregations and ministers that were serving congregations. And only one put their father and all of the other listed women. The majority of them listed their wife. It's no wonder that the Lord, when He speaks of leadership here in the Scriptures, that He places a heavy emphasis upon the wives to say, look, they too need to be spiritual people because they're going to have such an impact on the life of their husbands because that's what spiritual women do. Spiritual women make a powerful difference in the lives of their husbands. And so let's look at the next two qualifications that he speaks to the, to the wives or about the wives here. He says that the third one there is that they must be temperate. It also is translated sober. We usually think of sober or temperate as, as clear thinking. People that think before they talk. People that are not considered gullible. They're not considered irresponsible. They're considered as thinkers that express wisdom by their words and by their life. But let's notice this fourth thing that he says about the wives. In verse 11, he says, kind of bringing almost, you might say, just throwing the rest in the basket, faithful in all things. And so it is. A woman that is going to be the wife of a deacon. Wouldn't it be a shame if you were walking through the mall and, and, and you had, your, you had your, your, your daughter with you and over here was a woman that was so immodestly dressed and your daughter says, hey, isn't that one of our deacon's wives? What a shame that would be. A woman that her husband is going to be qualified to be a deacon is one that she is faithful in all things. If you see her about just in her day-to-day -day life, you're going to see a faithful Christian. If you see her in her home, you're going to see a faithful Christian. If you see her at her workplace, you're going to see a faithful Christian. And when you see the way she works in the Lord's church, you're going to see a faithful Christian. Her personal devotion to God is faithful to God. Now let's look as we go to the next verse, and now we're at verse 12. Notice what he says as we have the ninth and tenth qualification in verse 12. Let deacons be the husband of one wife. Here we have the ninth qualification that lets us know that definitely a deacon has to be a man. He is the husband and the husband of one wife. Now, there's a lot that is said about this passage. And really, to just speak bluntly, there's a lot that's said in this congregation about this passage that I've not heard in other congregations. I want to urge you to let the Bible speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. The Bible clearly states that he is to be the husband of one wife. The Lord clearly teaches when a man has a right of remarriage is when his wife is dead. Romans, the seventh chapter, could not be clearer. Matthew, the 19th chapter, clearly speaks when a man has a right of remarriage, when his wife has committed fornication. There's no other text and no other setting that people try to say that a dead spouse counts as one living spouse. And why in the world would folks put it here except to hold up a tradition that's not found in the Scriptures? Let's make sure we let the Bible speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. The passage here is saying that he has to have one wife. And if the man is living in a state of adultery, him being a deacon is not the greatest consideration as whether or not he ought to be in fellowship with the church. And if the man is in fellowship with the church 
How then can we try when it comes time to look at that of a deacon and try to rewrite it? And say, oh, well now all of a sudden he has two wives. But if we want to look at membership, he only has one wife. It's not fair with the text, folks. Let's stand where the Bible stands. And let's be silent where the Bible is silent. Notice the next thing that he says in verse 12. He says, ruling their children and their own houses well. He has to be a leader. If he's not a leader in his home, why would we expect for him to be a leader in the Lord's home? And that's the reasoning that's given back earlier under the qualification of elders. And so we see here that he says he must rule well his children. Now, if we were to look at the qualification of elders, qualification of elders, we see clearly as we go over to Titus, the first chapter, that they have to be believing or faithful children. And so we know that from that there had to be a child that's at least old enough to have been tested in the faith and decided to live a faithful life. And so they have to be an older child. But we don't see any kind of qualification like that as it comes in the qualifications of deacons. And so therefore a deacon can have younger children. But even though they're younger children, he must be ruling them well. Now... That's ten qualifications that the Lord gives. Notice this summary as he really exalts the office of deacon. And we read this also appreciating each man that we have that has served in this office. Let's close, close by reading verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice. This promise isn't made to every man that serves as a deacon. He says this promise is made to those who have served well. Those that have served well find themselves in a good standing. In other words, when we think about our relationship with God, where are we going to take our stand? When we think about our relationship and the work of the church, where are we going to take our stand? And here Paul writes and he says, listen, if a man is, is appointed to the office of a deacon and he works hard and he grows in the faith and he's faithful in all of his work, he's taking a good stand. And also the result of that's going to be spiritual growth, that he can have boldness in the faith. Note this as we close. Something is wrong in life. And, and I'm not saying this to point fingers. I'm saying that, that we need to really stop and evaluate our own life because it's probably something even outside of the realm of being a deacon. But something is wrong with a deacon as he serves in that capacity, but yet he is not growing spiritually. The Lord never designed it to be that way. And so that's kind of like a warning flag that says, wait a minute. If I'm serving in the Lord's church, but I'm becoming weaker spiritually, something's amiss in my life. And that's what we need to examine ourselves and, and see really what is wrong tonight. How blessed we are that we don't have to just shoot into the blindness and try to figure out what God wants. God shows us exactly what He wants in His church. And let's make sure that we honor that. Also, the Lord tells us exactly what He wants in our lives. He tells us how to become a Christian. He tells us about the Christian life. He tells us when we fall and we fail ourselves and we fail Him, how to get back on the right track. Tonight, if you want to begin that Christian journey, won't you be baptized into Christ as a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men? If you have been baptized into Christ, but yet sin has separated you from God, isn't it time to get back on track? Think of the influence that you can have on the lives of others.
And wouldn't it be a shame if your influence was a stumbling block instead of a stepping stone? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.